Episode 26 of Pop, we look at Prince and Purple Rain with author Dwayne Tootle. Let's go crazy. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word, life, it means forever, and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you, there's something else. The afterworld. A world of never-ending happiness. You can always see the sun, day or night. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one, Dr. Everything will be alright. Hi, this is Dwayne Tudall, author of Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions, 1983 to 1984, and you're listening to Pop, a pop culture podcast. Welcome to Pop, author Dwayne Tootle. Dwayne, welcome to Pop, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Podfather. <laughs> I have been wanting to do this show for a very long time. You talked about this book coming out. As you know, I was somebody that was like cheering you on because I love Prince. Prince is just uh, an amazing musician. But since you're the guest today, why don't you talk about how you got into Prince and what led you to create this wonderful book well i've always been a fan no, i'm not always but i've been a fan since the 80s and i started listening to prince because there was a girl i liked that listened to prince and also i'd go to dances and girls were dancing to prince and i thought i like girls i like music i like dance this is a perfect blend mm-hmm. so i started listening to him and i realized wow this guy's got a lot to it it was around 1999 when that came out, probably a little before that. Some of the stations were playing him, and I liked some of the music. And I just really – I started – he was one of those bands that you realized, oh, they got a bunch of B-sides. Oh, they got a bunch of other things and, and a constant flow of music. And as somebody who loves music, you know, you have an addiction, and you start, uh, you start wanting more and more and more of it. And Prince was, you know, supplying it. He was a pusher, and, and I was a junkie. I'm a funk junkie. <laughs> It was just something that I, I just I wanted more of, and then Purple Rain came out, and Purple Rain was the big movie to see that summer, and it just it, it kind of grew from there. And I just thought this guy is, is just the way he expresses himself, and the artistic edge to this. I'm a big fan of Bowie, and I love when a musician can be an artist and change their looks and change their sounds, and bring you along on a journey. And it's like a, a longer journey. You and I are both fans of the Monkees, and. There's a definite difference between the first Monkeys album and the last Monkeys albums, uh-huh. and and it's a journey. And there's something fun about the growth of the Beatles or something like that. And Prince was the same way to me. I could watch him grow and grow with him. 
in real time and the things he revealed along the way with that. And so I started writing for a magazine called Uptown. It was a Swedish-based magazine about Prince. And we wrote a book. I helped write a book called The Vault, which was all about his studio sessions and everything he did. And we used to talk about, well, let's do a studio session book and never got around to it because it was too, you know, too huge. And then, you know, I, I, there was a Beatles studio session book and then the monkeys came out with Andrew Sandoval's book and all this other stuff. And I'd been working on this for 20 years and I realized, you know what? I could probably do this. And my wife about five years ago said, are you going to finish this book or is it just a real nice hobby for you? Mm. <laughs> not in a bad way, not a bad way, in a very, in a very nice way, encouraging way. And, uh, and I thought, you know what? I really need to finish this. And I finished it and I got done with the book about a month before Prince passed. And uh, so I was done with the book in March of 2016. Uh-huh. And, and uh, I thought, this is great. Now I can start to look for a publisher. And then he passed away, and I thought, do I really want to come out with this book now? Because I didn't want to be one of these people that was seems like an opportunist. Right. I talked to a lot of – I interviewed about 40 or 50 people for the book, and I had all the, day, the daily work orders of when he was recording things. And it was a very elaborate book. And the people I, I phoned and asked, what do you think that I interviewed? And they said, you should come out with a book because it's historically important. And so I thought, great. And decided to look for a publisher, found a publisher, and it came out last November, I think. And uh, it's been well-received because it's always one of those things when you write a book, you never know how it's going to be received because you write in a vacuum. Uh-huh. And you always hope that you know what I'm doing in the vacuum is going to be enjoyed by the masses. And so far it has been. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Now the name of the book is Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions, 1983 and 1984. Yeah, that's a big title. It doesn't really flow off the tongue. It was a title by committee, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. We really wanted to say, you know, Prince of the Studio or you know something like that, but some of those titles were taken, and and we also want to make sure people understood that this is potentially the first book in a series of books. Yes. You know, that's the big thing is we had to establish that this is going to be the first book. There's going to be other book. And we are, I say we, because we kind of have a team working on this stuff, working on potentially book two and things like that right now. So it's, it's, it's been, it's, wow, it's, it's kind of overwhelming. It's kind of taken life of its own. It's very exciting. Well, let's tell people where they can find the book. Where can people get the book, Dwayne? Uh, you can find it on Amazon. You can look it up. My name is Dwayne Tudal. That's D-U-A-N-E. T-U-D-A-H-L. Uh, you can also go to my website, uh, DwayneTudal.com, and you can download the first chapter if you want for free. And at the end of the chapter, it has a coupon for 30% off if you want to order it through the publisher. Um, it's at Barnes & Noble. It's at uh, Bookstar, uh, Books A Million. It's in all the all your favorite bookstores and probably a few you don't like too. It's <laughs> You kind of get it everywhere. You uh, Any bookstore, they'll probably be able to order it as well. So it's it's uh, published, not a self-published book. It's actually you got a publisher, so they've, they've kind of made sure it's, it's available everywhere you can possibly get it. But Amazon's generally the easiest place to get it. And right now they're having it at 30% off, so that's kind of cool too. Excellent. Now, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, they say you can't judge a book by the cover, but I'm going to talk a bit about the the actual cover of the book. <laughs> and it is amazing. It's a great photo of Prince. And, and who, who did the artwork for this? The artwork is two different, two different people. The, the photographer is one of the, one of the most amazing rock photographers out there, a guy named Neil Preston. Mm. Neil has done stuff for Led Zeppelin, The Who, Bruce Springsteen. He's just literally, of all rock photographers, he's in the top five. 
easily. And he's got a book that just came out as well. I, I suggest people look him up because his work is so good. He did stuff with Queen. You'd recognize his work. He's, he just does so many iconic things. The fact that I was able to, to find a shot that he had taken of Prince's uh, – the first show of this of the Purple Rain tour okay. and was able to work this out with him was, was amazing. The artwork was done by a guy named Phil Hodgkiss. His nickname is Rev. He is this incredible artist. We went back and forth trying to figure out exactly how to make this thing work and, and take the picture. And we decided we were going to put the studio work orders over it. And we originally had lyrics over it, but we couldn't get the rights to the lyrics. Right. And so we had to kind of go back and just use the words from the work orders that were handwritten. But man, it was it was uh, it's one of these things where, you know, when you when you look at something, I every time I look at the book, I get excited because I just think those two did such beautiful work that it's it's an honor to have my name on the cover of a book with their work on it. So, yeah, I, I feel the same way. It, it's one of those photos that the cover is one of those things that is greater than the sum of its parts. And the genius stroke of having the actual studio work glaze over the photo of Prince is it actually sums up this book. It really is a visual representation of the book to me. So thank you. And that's what I was hoping for. I was hoping to have something that people could, because you're going to see books with Prince's picture on the cover. Like, you know, that that's, if you're doing a book about Prince, you got to, you know, and the guy was, you know, a lot of pictures taken of him mm-hmm. and a lot of pictures of him in concert. I couldn't find a shot of him in the studio, which would have been what I wanted. You know, you want to have a shot. Then there's some pictures of him in the studio later in his life or earlier in his life, but nothing from this era. And I wanted to make sure that the picture was era specific because I'm one of these fans that if I'm looking at a picture of Prince and they're talking about Purple Rain and they're showing a picture of him from years later and Love Sexy, I'm, I'm one of these fans that's going to say, whoa, 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 pal. You got to do your research here, and and I know there's a lot of people that are obsessive like I am about that stuff. So I thought I need to make sure it's a, an era specific picture, as well as a kind of iconic picture. And you know his arm in the air like that, and it's just it is almost exactly that that moment that you hear that that guitar ring out and let's go yes. crazy. You know what I was going to say yes, about. yes, absolutely. Any of the songs that you can see, you'd hear him playing Purple Rain in that song, or you can hear him playing Let's Go Crazy. It's one of these things that it's just he's peacocking up on the stage with his arm and his pick in the air, and you just you just going, I can hear it. I'm transported to that spot, and that's what I'm hoping. And and you know when you see certain things and 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 you just love it. When they brought, I I got the picture. I love that. And then when Rev did the picture, or the art on it, I just thought this is this is beautiful. I'm 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 you know the to honored to have an image like that on the cover you know I, I every time i go to a bookstore i look at it going god this is cool <laughs> it is that exact moment when you hear that guitar note excellent yeah yeah, yeah. and quest love wrote the foreword yeah, if people aren't familiar with Questlove, he's the drummer for the Tonight Show. But he's the drummer in the in the in the Roots, and he is one of the biggest Prince fans ever. And uh, he was a friend of a friend. And early on in the in the process, not too early on, about four years ago now, I think about it. The book was mostly done, and somebody said, "Can I show Questlove?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." And he looked at it, he was like, "Oh my god!" 
And he's like, this is crazy. And, and he said, what can I do? And I said, well, I, I would love a forward. And he said, absolutely. And so he wrote a really nice forward to have Questlove kind of give his nod of approval and say, this is the book we've been waiting for forever. Again, I don't keep saying humbled, but I'm like going, wow, that's not. And, and he's a great guy. And the funny thing is I didn't meet Questlove until long after the book was published. Uh-huh. I we'd been dealing with each other over the phone for things and and so but he's been man and and every time he tweets about it, uh, it all of a sudden you know I get all kinds of people saying wait book because he's got you know three million followers so right that's, right, that's, right. that's 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 always nice but yeah. man he's he's a huge fan the amount of information that uh, and 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 clout that he was able to add to this makes me you know feel very happy I'm, I'm proud to be sharing a cover with Prince and Questlove you know, how did I get there. How'd I get the sandwich? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Now, this is a book that if you're a Prince fan, if you are intrigued by the making of music, if you are intrigued by how how the stew is made, if you will, this is the book you want to have. And sadly, a lot of times when I read a book, be it about the Beatles or whoever, they never really get in depth into the things I want them to discuss, the things I want to know about. Like, I want to know how a song starts out as a demo and it falls all the way through to the finished product. What was going on with the band or the artist at the time? You actually take us into these two years. It's not, it's not glossed over. It, this this puts you in the studio, this puts you in the cars, this puts you, you are spending each <laughs> month of these two years with everybody involved in the making of this album and the experience. How did you get to talk to all of these people and what was your main idea in putting this book together? I'm a huge fan of music. I am, you know, like you, I, I, I don't want to say I obsess about certain music, but I, I love music and when i know more about it it makes the music more interesting to me uh it adds a layer to it uh, i'm one of these people that when i used to get albums i would obsessively read the liner notes and see who was involved oh eddie kramer mm-hmm. did this oh that's right. the guy that did Jimi hendrix too he did kiss and Jimi hendrix so you you start to associate all these people and so i would do that with prince and prince was you know somewhat secretive but he'd have hints and stuff like this he would he would list names and stuff and you see repeated names and i started thinking well this would be kind of cool to find this out and then there's a beatles recording studio sessions book a recording sessions and that was really cool finding out what date the beatles did stuff and and i wanted to find a way to do that with prince but i didn't want to just have a book of dates because a book of dates is just boring after three dates you're going oh so what i went to the engineers uh that were there during the sessions, uh, Peggy McCreary and Susan Rogers and people like that that were involved. Then I started talking to the singers and the band members. I talked to members of Apollonia 6 and Vanity 6, and I talked to um, members of the time, and then I talked to the Revolution um, and and got uh, most of the Revolution uh, to talk to me on the record about this stuff. And then I went back to when I couldn't get people – I went back to articles and magazines and podcasts and things like that that had interviews with these people and started just finding ways to tell the story because to me, a story is told best through the people that were there. And hearing these people talk about what they did and what they were doing – and it, Prince was very secretive. Mm-hmm. You were not allowed in the room with him unless you were invited. 
So I was able to get the people that were invited into the room to talk about what it was like to be in the studio with Prince and, and saying, well, he tried this, he did this demo and he did this. But again, it's, I tried to make it so that it's in context with his life. When he's in a fight with somebody, that's where this song came from. When he's falling in love with somebody, that's where this song came from. When he's getting, when he had lost an award, he wrote this song, uh, those kind of things that, you know, and, and have the engineers, the band members talk about this. The cool thing with finding the engineers, um, is people have to understand when somebody like Prince, he's in the studio for 15 to 20 hours a day at times. Mm-hmm. So for somebody to ignore or, or at least not use the resources of the engineers to talk about this, seems like you're missing a good chunk of the guy's day because this guy was about music and everything he did was expressed in music. His friends, his, his people closest to him were people he could talk to with music. If you bypass the people that were there in the room with him, you're missing a good chunk of the story. And I didn't want to write a tabloidy thing or anything like that. I wanted it to be about this the guy creating art and yeah, making sausage, but yeah, it's it's his sausage. Mm-hmm. And it's the it's the music that we kind of grew up with. And and again, a big thing for me was once he passed, the his music meant a whole lot more different meanings in the songs you know uh, you go back to sometimes it snows in april and and which was recorded by coincidence on the day he died it was recorded 31 years earlier on the day he died things like that and you just that's not in this book but that'll be in another book but you you start to realize there's there's ways to look at his music after he died you start hearing different things the elevator bringing you down and stuff like that and i hope that what this book does is gives you a new way to look at his music fresh because it's tough to see, tough to listen to his music without hearing it through the prism of his death. And I'm hoping that what this does is kind of reminds people of when he was alive, when he was vital, when he was at his peak doing what he did best and the joy and the the um, the energy he brought to it. I'm hoping that that comes across in in describing what he did and and not only me describing it, but the people who were there. I tried to get them to say their things and then get out of the way because I want them to tell the stories. The best stories to me are told by the people that were there hearing two or three people tell the story that to me makes a great story. And and I'm not really a journalist, but I make documentaries for a living. And what that is, is the same kind of thing. A documentary is just letting the people tell the story as much as possible and getting out of the way. And that's what I want to do with this. And I hope, you know, I hope it came across. Now, if you were to say, what kind of story is told like for example when i read andrew sandoval's excellent book about the monkeys great book people say well what happens is there a narrative and it's like no not really but you see what's happening you can see what's going to happen as as the seeds are laid out your book is incredibly similar in in the same way what challenges do you feel that prince faced during these two years that you document kind of explain what was going on with him and the challenges he faced. Well, at the beginning of the book is very, it goes from January, 1983, January 1st, 1983 to December 31st, 1984. To put that in context, January 1st, 1983, he was still kind of a cult performer. He had not had a huge, huge hit. He had some hits earlier, but 1999, the album had been released but it was not doing well, and it was going down the charts. It starts off with them basically retooling the tour because they were on tour. And he's like, oh, gosh, this isn't going well. So he took a month off the tour and said, we got to make this work. At the same time, they re-released some of the songs in Little Red Corvette in 1999, and they became a hit. And this is the story of him going from 
cult performer to being the biggest star on the planet because what mm-hmm. happened after that he went to 1999 little red corvette and the rest of the 1999 album that became huge and then he said to his management you know what i want to make a movie and they're like wait wait what uh you're five foot two uh guy who wears ruffles and lace and heels and you want to make a movie where you're the lead actor star nobody really knows you're not big and, and they, they said okay we'll do it we'll do everything we can and he said i want my name above the title uh, okay prince all right and so he he with his force of his his will made this and they went to warner brothers and they said we'd like to make a movie and they said okay and they had a writer write it and when they pitched the movie to the executives the executives said okay we really like the movie we like the script but we'd like to have john travolta play prince play the part of the kid and they're like, <laughs> okay, that's not going to work. But they, they convinced them that, you know what, Prince is the guy to do this. And, and they had a, a team of unknowns, first-time feature director, first-time actors, all this other stuff in the movie. And it, became, it, it, it ended up becoming a hit because of the music. And that was released. He became the biggest star on the planet. He ended up uh, having the number one single, number one movie, number one album, all in the same week. Uh, you know, that's Beatles type fame. Yes. And then, and then the Purple Rain tour was selling out, you know, for five or six, seven shows in a city. And that, that's, again, that's 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 as big a fame as you're going to get. And the book ends with him on tour and miserable because he got everything he wanted. And and it's it's not what he wanted. And he realized I'm an artist and I've got to decide whether to ride this Purple Rain train for a while and sacrifice my artistic vision or create new work and move on and he decided to move on and that's that's the story it's really the story of somebody who wanted everything wanted the world and then got it and then decided he wanted to send it back and get another order and that that to me is an amazing story because the the sort of fame that prince had at that time especially is you don't it's hard to explain to people how big he was because you had mtv just starting and he was the perfect person for MTV because they just started showing African-Americans on MTV and Michael Jackson. But then Prince had a movie, which is essentially a music video linked by a story, you know, a bunch of music videos linked by a story. So it came in to MTV as the perfect product. Here's three bands that you can play their videos for. And it's a movie and it's a premiere and it's a tour and it's an album. It's not just one album either. I mean, you had... Right. Uh, you had the Times Ice Cream Castle, so it's if you want to follow their story, you could do that in real life, right? And exactly. Same with Apollonia Six or Vanity Six, if you want to go back. Exactly. And, you know. Exactly. And and what he was doing was creating a a wall of of music, mm-hmm. and what he would he would sometimes credit the. It's funny because he would sometimes credit the other people around him as having written songs, even though he wrote them. And I was talking to one of the engineers, a guy named David Z, about this, and he said the reason why Prince would do that is so it didn't seem like it was all from him. So it mm-hmm. seemed like there's a big movement, a wave from Minneapolis. Yeah. And everybody thought, wow, there must be a wave. Look at all these creative people up there. And it was mostly Prince doing this stuff, and, and Prince would be recording stuff by himself. To tell you how busy the guy was, in the spring and, and early summer of 1984, he recorded the rest of the Purple Rain album, most of the album for the time. Entire album for Sheila E., the album for Apollonia 6, music for the Bangles, and then an album for a band called The Family. That's all within a few months. Yes. That's, that's insane. I, I know I say this a lot, but it, nobody, nobody does that. You look at any other band, they record an album, then they tour or whatever it is, but it was one album. 
And, you, you know, even Michael Jackson came out with an album every few years. Right. Prince was coming out with albums that in 84, he came out with, what, four albums of stuff he basically wrote and produced and, and recorded. That's just, you know, that's what he came out with. That doesn't even count all the stuff that he recorded that never came out. Right. So it's the most prolific artist out there easily. Seriously, prolific is not you know that that that's not even the equation right it's so much bigger you almost have to create a new word yeah it 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 really is because there's there are people that that you look at as the standard for as high as you can go when it comes to this stuff honestly having looked at his studio stuff i can't imagine somebody recording more cuz this guy would be in the studio every day and sometimes record two or three songs in a day because he could do it all himself he could walk over play the drums then walk over grab the keyboards play those play the bass play the guitar sing and, you know, and then do it in falsetto and say, OK, this is going to Sheila. You know, mm-hmm. you, nobody has that sort of thing. And, and, and they keep saying people say, oh, this person's the next prince or something like that. And there is no next prince. There is right. no next prince. And, and, and some people like him. Some people don't. The thing I didn't understand until he passed was how wide the range of fans were, because when you're a Prince fan, you think, well, a little bit of a cult. You know, you know, there's some people that like him and some people don't. But once he passed, you saw Niagara Falls in purple and you saw the Eiffel Tower in purple and you realize, mm-hmm. wow. I'm part of a bigger group that I didn't even realize. Yeah. That he made his own genre of music, you know, pop and rock and funk and soul and blues and and all this stuff was him. And you hear a song and you may do something funky or may do something rock and you're going, you still know it's him because you're going, all right, that that's Prince. And even jazz, you know, and you Mm -hmm. just. And it all comes down to Prince. It all equals Prince. Exactly. And and you hear his, oh, or you hear Mm -hmm. whatever and you're going, yep. Okay, that's that's him, and and you just there. I think you you don't find many p- artists that are respected by the public, by the critics, and by other musicians. You just you don't find that to happen too often. You know, bands that you and I like, we both love Kiss. Critics don't like Kiss. People mm-hmm. love Kiss. You don't get that the three legs of the stool like that in right. very many artists. So, and Prince is definitely one of those people. And a musician's musician and a celebrity's celebrity. He's the kind of guy that every celebrity that met him would tell a story about, oh, my five minutes with Prince. As if he's a Frank he's he's Frank Sinatra of, of this era, you know, he, when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, he was the Elvis of his time. He was the, the Sinatra of his time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, he actually was that lightning bolt, that lightning rod. You mentioned about the wealth of the B sides. Yeah. I'd like to play a couple of those because they're songs that people don't really get to hear. Like, for example, I think it's a it's a damn crying shame that the song 17 Days in Itself never wound up on the Purple Rain soundtrack. I agree. It's a great song. Tell us a little bit about 17 Days. 17 Days was recorded in Minneapolis. It was originally recorded with Brenda Bennett, who was uh, one of the singers for Apollonia 6 and Vanity 6 as the lead singer. It was kind of inspired by her. And actually, when he was done with the song, he wrote Brenda's name at the top like as if she had written it. And I'm sure she inspired some of the, some of the uh, lines in it. Brenda's husband at the time, Leroy Bennett, was the, uh, did the lighting for Prince. So it was kind of they were around him all the time. I interviewed Brenda for the book, and she said that sitting down recording this with the revolution – was amazing because they were thinking about doing a Brenda solo album. And so he did that with her and then they jammed on it again in a month or two. But then the following year, Prince said, you know what? I'm going to bring the revolution back in. I'm going to jam on this myself and I'll have Brenda sing some of the background and have some of her do some of the uh, 
uh, narrating in it. But it is a great song. It is one of those songs that is um, – the B-sides he had from that era could have been on a hit for anybody. Uh-huh. You know, 17 Days, Erotic City, She's Always in My Hair. Uh, um, I'm trying to think. Of, there's so many of them that are just – you sit there going, wow, that's a great song. And, and, but 17 Days really is one of my favorite uh, B-sides because it, it, it's – if you're a fan – it's one of those nuggets you find. You're going, oh yeah, like <laughs> yeah, and and it's it. I again I agree with you. It should have been on the album, but the songs in the here's the, the deal with the songs on the album. Every one of the songs in the album tells the story of the movie, which tells the story of the album. The songs uh-huh. had to be able to fit the narrative of the movie, but yet handle being on their own for a soundtrack album. Uh-huh. So there was a a large selection of things they were trying to figure out. Do we go in this direction? Do we go in this direction? This song helps this, but this song doesn't. And he'd take songs out of the soundtrack because he's like, you know what? This doesn't fit the narrative anymore. And 17 Days really doesn't fit the narrative, even though it's a great song. And Prince was very meticulous about what songs he would have on the album. He'd assemble the album, listen to it, shuffle it, think, hmm, I, I could do better than this. I think I'll take this song from this album, put it on this album. He really had kind of a vision of what he wanted until he got the nine songs for Purple Rain. But it was trial and error trying to get there. And, right. and 17 Days, I don't know whether 17 Days was ever seriously considered to be on the album, but it's it's just one of those songs that if you don't know it, well, listen. Tell me you can't see Prince riding his motorcycle when you hear this. <laughs>
picture him uh, you know it's just it, to me it's, it's such a prince jam and it, it it sounds so familiar you're going oh if you hadn't heard it before it sounds like anything he would have done right but it's just it's so good and it's so it the funny thing is the song sounds purple to me it i don't does. know how to explain that i don't know how to explain that but it sounds you don't purple. need to explain it i understand exactly what you mean you know the weird thing is is that you almost wonder about the length of the days that take place in the film it could it could have been over 17 days oh see see that's i hadn't even thought about that that's very clever yeah, yeah i don't you know go. I'll, have to, I'll have to rewrite the book there you go <laughs> <laughs> you talk about all the work that he was doing it's not just that because he was also designing a tour at the same time he was also yes. he was constantly 10 steps ahead of everything and it was amazing to see how he would manipulate the the power structures as they were yeah. he wants to do a movie he comes in and does everything pretty much on his own terms yep. he just totally upset their apple cart and got within there like a virus and took it over basically you mentioned that prior to 1999 he was kind of in that soul funk ghetto if you will right yes yes and he realized he had to bust out into the mainstream absolutely he basically used Rolling Stone in a way that not many people do. He knew what he had to give them, and he got them to sit up and beg for him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> absolutely. He absolutely controlled every bit of media, every bit of his appearances on MTV. He didn't just have videos. He had a movie, and it, yep. it it opened up an entire new thing to where everybody was going to have a movie all of a sudden, right? Absolutely. Give us an example of a day in the studio. What's the reader going to find? Well, I'll give you a uh, Manic Monday. The song by the Bangles was originally recorded for Apollonia 6, which is kind of fun to hear that you did, you know, to understand that that was the case because it's one of those songs you don't realize he'd been working on for the Apollonia 6 album, which would have been their version of, of the Purple Rain stuff. He was recording a song with, with them, uh, with uh, Apollonia 6 the night before, and he told his engineer, Peggy McCreary, you know what? We're going to leave here. You're going to be home around six. If I, I got a little head song, song in my head. If I dream the lyrics, 
I'm going to, uh, I'll call you and we'll come back in the studio. And she's like, all right. And he called her and said, okay, I got the, the lyrics for this and uh, meet me in the studio. And she's like, what? And got into the studio and realized he had dreamed the lyrics for Manic Monday, but he kind of got it from himself. If you listen to the lyrics for 1999, well, here's the lyrics for Manic Monday. He says, six o'clock already, I was just in the middle of a dream. Mm -hmm. 1999 says, I was dreaming when I wrote this, forgive me if it goes astray. It's the same sort of thing, talking about a dream, same spacing of the lines. He kind of got inspired by himself, so he just basically took parts of 1999 and turned that into Manic Monday. Yeah, you can actually sing the part over the part, right? Yeah, yeah, but that was his dream, and he came in the studio and he recorded the rest of it. And the fun thing about Manic Monday is it could have easily been a country western song. You know, it could have been just another Manic Monday, yeehaw! You know, you could have made that into a, a country thing, but he made it into a pop thing. And that was on their album, and it did, you know, they were all excited about it, and then he decided to take it off. But a day in the studio was just him recording that, recording the vocals for that, then bringing uh, Apollonia in and bringing Brenda in and the different people to sing on this. Other days, he would, there's a song he did called God, which was a, a B side uh -huh. of Pearl Rain. And. It was him on the piano, and what he did was a, it was a uh, kind of a humid afternoon in, in August or September and of 84, and he's just sitting there. The, the equipment wouldn't work, and, and Susan Rogers, engineer, is trying to get it to work, and they're frustrated. And finally, it starts working, and Prince basically sits there, records the song on the piano, does his little vocal as he's doing it, finishes the one take, stands up, closes the piano, and walks out of the studio. Didn't ask, are we done? Did we get it? Anything. He just walked out, and that's the take you hear on the b-side they went back and added a few things after that but that was what he did and and it's such a clean thing but susan was like looking around going where where do you go uh are we done <laughs> are you finished and he was just mysterious like that he would kind of appear and kind of disappear without you know without making a scene sometimes he, people would say you know where do you go the engineer's looking around and it's like oh he's gone is he coming back don't know but you need to stay here for a while to make sure he doesn't come back Right. That's that's how he would do it. He would he would go off and he would always write a song, not always, but often write his songs in the studio. If he didn't have a song, he'd go out in the studio and play the piano for a while and just kind of look for a look for a song, just writing songs in his head. But this guy again is writing two or three songs a day sometimes. Mm -hmm. Most of the stuff he did was by himself, beautiful ones. He would go in the studio by himself and record that. Um, you know, even even 1999 and things like that were mostly him by himself, and he'd bring other people to sing a couple lines. That's just, you know, he could do that. You don't have, you know, the Beatles did that occasionally. Paul McCartney would play something on piano and do something. But then the rest of the Beatles would come in and say, do something, or they'd add some, you know, orchestra or something. But you you basically had that group performance. Mm -hmm. With Prince, you don't do that. And, and that's the difference between, like, Prince and Bruce Springsteen and Madonna during that era. Prince was able to do all this stuff himself. And, and yeah, Bruce Springsteen did a lot of great music, but he'd have his band in there with him, and right. and we're at a producer. You know, Madonna would always have a producer. It, Prince produced himself. He wrote, uh, performed, and produced by him. And if it says by the, by the Revolution, they helped out a great deal, but it was to influence Prince, not to uh, not to overtake. Ship. Yeah, exactly. He was always oh, he was always the captain, right. um, and you could you could influence him and tell him whether there's a rock ahead, and that didn't always help. Because they they told me if he wanted to hit the wall, you let him hit the wall, and then you look at it and say, okay, I hit the wall. Let's go back to the other way. And there were experiments he did that worked out. And there's experiments that he did that didn't. But any artist is going to, if they don't have those things, 
they're not pushing themselves. And he was a guy that pushed himself beyond what most other people do. With their, and, and when he wasn't – here's the other thing. When he wasn't recording, he was rehearsing or he was recording for other things or prepping for things. And, and that's just – you know he's not the kind of guy that takes a vacation right. or goes to a barbecue or anything like that. His, his relaxation comes from making music. That's what he likes doing. And control. Absolute control. It, when he, yeah, he he controlled the the time, and the, the, people didn't understand at the time that it was him that was calling all the shots. And that's you look at a band like the time, and they're a lot of fun, and the music they they play is great. And then you realize that was mostly done by Prince alone in the studio with mm-hmm. Morris or something like that, and and the guitar work. And and the funny thing is, the time is filled with musicians who are fantastic: Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, Jesse Johnson. Exactly. But, but Prince did all this stuff, and those guys would often wait in the next room until he was done, and he'd hand him a tape saying, okay, here's your next song. <laughs> Amazing.
that nobody again nobody does that kind of thing but the parents and and we let him that's the other thing is they everybody let i was never in the studio with him i didn't work with him but i'm saying we let him do what he did we let him dictate the art that he gave us and the influence that he had for us mm -hmm. he's one of those people that just by showing up on stage people stand up and cheer uh -huh. you don't get a lot of that you don't get that everybody's standing up to cheer whoever it is you're like oh yeah guy that guy's good but people stand up and cheer and like yeah that's prince there's something unique about that that's beyond the mere mortals that are out there most of the time and people ask why did i write a book about prince once i started finding out the stories about prince i was like how can i not write a book about prince Right. You know, the guy, guy's got so much, and this is the book that you have is is it's 500 pages, but it's two years and that's it. Just imagine my music shelf, right? There's my Prince albums and my Prince CDs. This is right there. This is Good. in that, and I, I look forward to what else you have coming. Again, the name of the book is Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions, 1983 to 1984. Now, one of the most famous. B-sides that came out of this time period. And I remember, I used to listen to everything from New Wave to Hard Rock to whatever, but the uh, funk station that was in Cleveland at the time, around 107.9 on the dial, anybody remember it uh, out there? They would, they would play a bunch of Princess stuff as long mixes during lunchtime, right? Sure. So it would be nothing to be working and here comes this brand new song it would always be something new and interesting and it, it was it was almost like a daily treat to have them mess with prince you know because they would actually mix it up a bit but wow. i remember the first time i heard this b-side erotic city on i the knew radio. that was one the way this is what you're gonna say this one still gets people's jaws to drop and why don't you tell us a little bit about the making from your book, Prince in the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions, 1983-1984. Tell us a bit about the making of Erotic City and what folks are going to hear when I play it. Uh, Erotic City was originally, I mean, he said, he's gone on record saying that he uh, saw George Clinton uh -huh. playing that night and that that influenced him. I have not verified that that he was there but prince also told a lot of stories that he wanted you know embellished stories he was a, an amazing storyteller when it came to some of this stuff sometimes it was to throw you off track so i started looking into whether the the george clinton or parliament funkadelic had played at that time it sounds like he saw them play about a year earlier or a year later for which one it was but there were a lot of the songs about this around this time and one i didn't write about in the book is a song called white horse by laid back mm -hmm. which is very similar and it sounds like he got something from that but the cool thing about Erotic City was it was the first song that he had Sheila E. do the vocals on. Yes. And he brought her into the studio and he said, you know, and she's like, where's all the, you know, where's all the instruments? He said, I want you to sing. And she's like, what? What? He's like, yeah, you, you really sing. Because she'd been jamming in the studio for a while. And her drums, her drumming really kind of influenced his sound. Uh -huh. But she, he said, I want you to sing some of the background on this. Uh, so it's kind of a duet between him and her, and it's really his second duet. His first duet would have been Take Me With You, which was a few months earlier, but he uh, – actually about a month earlier now that I think about it. So this was about, I think, March 25th of uh, 84. So she sang on this, and she sang that, you know, we can funk until the dawn. There's some controversy about whether she said funk, but there, it's – she was – this is her first time singing on a Prince song, and this kind of inspired – 
her to do a whole album with him. Mm-hmm. And and uh, he had been planning this album. This really set the stage for her to record the Glamorous Life album. Absolutely. And some of the songs had been recorded before by Prince. And then the next week after this, basically, he taken these, this tape to Warner Brothers of, of a bunch of songs that he wanted to have her on and said, I want to do an album with her. And now you've got to remember, this is during a time when he's recording for the time, Apollonia 6, Purple Rain hadn't come out yet, and he's got all this stuff kind of backlogged. And he said, at the end of March, early April, I got a performer I'd like to come out with called Sheila E., who's done a bunch of other stuff, but I'd like to come out with an album with her. And, and Warner was like, okay. So literally within like a month and a half of this, he released the single for Glamorous Life with her on it. And then her album came out the next month, I think, right before mm-hmm. Purple Rain. But it's like that he was inspired so much by Sheila and wanting to have her on music that he put her on this song, made this a B-side, and then recorded a whole album with her. That's, you know, again, a guy who was already so busy that he couldn't do other things ended up recording a whole other album with Sheila because he was inspired by her. That's nuts. It's crazy.
I spoke earlier about manipulating the media and stuff like that. Yes. This is yes. this to me is a prime example of him doing that. Like he sneaks this song out, it shows up as a B side, and then you get the twelve inch and all that. Sure. And the um, less than a month later, boom, here's the peak at Glamorous Life, and then boom, here's the album. So he's just manipulating things and controlling. It's it's that Svengali thing all over again. He's a master marketer when it comes to this stuff. I don't mean to interrupt, but he's just he is so good at understanding that, like you said, he's ten steps at the time. He was ten steps ahead of everything, uh-huh. and he really set up. He said, "I already have this next year planned of when these things will be released and how they're going to be released." And he was like uh, Motown, you know, where he'd have six, five, six albums coming out with bands. That's yeah, he did that. He did very and very easily. He did that. Uh-huh. Clever man. Yeah. And when you think about it, if someone were to say, I'd like to, to get like a deluxe version of Purple Rain, you almost have to have all of these side albums put in the same box set when you think mm-hmm. about it. Because it's not even close to, to grabbing everything he did. You know, it's 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 a good shot, but Purple Rain, Ice Cream Castles, on and on and on and on. It's just absolutely amazing. I agree with you. In, in fact, when, when people got the Purple Rain Deluxe CD that came out uh, last year, you almost expected to have the time on there. And you almost expect to have Apollonia 6 on there. And, mm-hmm. and, and But then it would have been like a 6-7 CD set, which I would have bought. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy to throw my – I keep looking at the estate saying, oh, I'm, I'm waiting. I got money in my hand. I'm ready to hand it to you. You know, Shut up and give, let me give you my money. You know, because that's how I am with this stuff, and I think there's a lot of fans out there that just want to hear that. But they're trying to make it as good as possible, and I think they're going through the vault and going through. I I, I respect that they're not just coming out with a quick money maker, and I want them to do it right. But yeah, if you're going to do an album of that, you want to you, you expect to hear that because all that stuff is the same era. He may be the same week doing some of this stuff, and one of the cool things when you're reading the book is to get the CDs and dust off your old albums or whatever and listen to some of the music while you're reading the book uh-huh. because it kind of reminds you of, of first off, how much good music the man made. I mean, A, A-list music. But then there's so many hidden gems, like you said, Erotic City. Uh, but Erotic City is one of these things you just go, oh, yeah, that's, that's a great – and again, a different sort of groove. It's, it's not like let's go crazy. It's all of a sudden a more subdued thing where you had you the quieter stuff, and and he had a range in him that most people don't get. Most artists end up doing a song and then variations of the song for the rest of their career, or and they'll throw the love song in there. But it's 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 variations of a certain song, and and that's and they and most artists do very well with that. Mm-hmm. Prince wasn't somebody like do that. Each album is kind of an, its own vacation. And, right. you know, it's like you're going, oh, gee, we're going to Tahiti this time. Oh, we're going to Japan this time. And it's a different travel. And that's what makes his work so frustrating and exciting because you don't know what you're going to get. And there's always the promise of something that's going to be, you know, new. And sometimes it works. And sometimes you sit there going, yep, I've done it. I've listened to it. That's probably not what I'm going to go back to. But the guy is an artist enough to be able to say, I'm going to make what I want to make. And, and I hope you're along for the ride because it's going to be a fun one. Now, Prince, a lot of people know him as Prince or the artist, right? Or the artist Correct. formerly known as Prince. But yes, he yes. had he had a couple other names. Would you like to talk about some of those, some some other I- identities that Prince had? Alexander Nevermind and Christopher <laughs> and things like that. And yeah, he used – Jamie Starr and the kid. Yes, I mean, Jamie – yes. He, he came out with a lot of names 
again, this, this is something that he would do is, is to try to make it mysterious mm-hmm. by adding a, a, a person's fake name in there. All of a sudden people are like, oh, who is this Jamie Starr? Again, doesn't want to seem like he's doing everything. All the early albums are Jamie Star production or Star production, and that was him. That was that was Prince to be in the studio doing this stuff, so people didn't know it was him. And they all would, they were lying for a while and deceiving, and, and, and not in a bad way, but in a way that's trying to you know. He was building uh, the legend. I remember yes. being you know as it was happening in real time. I was probably twenty three, twenty four. And I would try to find out information on Jamie Starr. Who is this guy? He's putting out the time, Vanity Six and Prince. <laughs> this guy's amazing. So it's it's almost like, oh, it's not, you know, this is the producer over here is Jamie Starr. He's amazing. And it turns out Jamie Starr's a freak, right? So, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but it was amazing that he was able to play within these characters christopher and the kid and jamie star and alexander never mind just amazing stuff now i'm going to go to the closing of your book and i don't want to give it all away but there's something i'd like to read purple rain was prince's greatest success but it set the bar so high that he seemed resigned not to attempt to duplicate it this is a quote in some ways purple rain scared me he explained to electrifying mojo in 1986 it was too successful, and no matter what I do, I'll never top it. It'll be hanging around my neck as long as I'm making music. Now, at this point, we follow the story up to this point. And like I said, you know, it's you, you, you may not have really meant to have the narrative that, that you find in the book, but it's all there, folks. The, the book ends with the New Year's Eve performance that night. Mm-hmm. And Prince is looking back on the his life and the creation of this incredible album. What, how do you sum the, the book up from, from this point on? Well, the, that quote to me is so astute. There's two quotes that really stand out to me, that one and the quote in the very beginning of the book, which mm-hmm. he says, let me see what exactly he says. The music I make a lot of time is reflective of the life I'm leading. Yes. And that was the key to the whole book to me is, it, when he says the music I make at the time is reflected in the life I'm leading, that's the snapshot in how he is and how he's feeling. When he's at the end of the book, he's already recorded the next album. He's already on, he's still on the Purple Rain tour. But he's recorded the next album, Around the World Today, which has some really great songs on it. But there's a theme of loneliness in that song. Mm-hmm. And I think he's isolated by this point, that he's, he's at the happiest point of his life because it's the most successful. But at the same time, he's been marred uh, – his, his, his range has grown – but his circle of, of, of trust, people he could trust, has shrunk. Mm-hmm. Because if you get to that point, you don't know who the new people coming to you are and what they want. And so there's a, a, you, you start to cocoon and you start to move away from people because you don't know who you can trust. And I think at the end of, of the book, he is having to decide, is this the direction I want to go? Do I want to be Mr. Purple Rain? Do I want to tour the world with this? I can make more money than I could ever dream of by touring for another year with this mm-hmm. stuff. Or I can follow my heart and realize that I'm, I've moved on and I've been playing this music for two or three years. And I, I, I can't keep – I can't fake that. He's a guy that if he's faking it, you see it. You know, when there's times that he's – and there's been a few times I felt like you're kind of going through the motions here. And it's, it's obvious because he is so an extension of his music. He's, he is – he says in the book, I am I'm, I'm music. And he really is. You, you look at his guitar. His guitar is part of him. He actually looks like his the guitar's attached to him. 
He finds ways to move it. He finds ways to hump it. He finds ways to do everything to it. It's a part of him. And I think that music in general is a part of him. And, and being an artist and expressing the most recent thing is a part of him. And by this point in, the, in his life, Purple Rain and all those things were songs he'd been playing for two years at least, some of them. And I think he was just tired. And, and he never did – well, it took him years before he did another big tour in America like this. The next tour he did after this was Parade Tour, and he it was a hit-and-run thing where he'd announce that week when he's showing up. And then the next tour, Sign of the Times, he didn't play in America at all. He said, I'll, I'll give you a movie. You can watch that. And then Love Sexy, he played in Europe, and then he finally played that in America. And it's a great tour, but he wasn't planned to be in America. So it wasn't until the 90s that he really did another big tour like this. I think he realized I've kind of made this big statement. I can't beat this. I kind of have to go in a different direction and maybe be a little more subtle. Well, subtle, but maybe be a little more subdued of certain things. And like you said, he was exceptional about letting people know what he wanted them to know. He didn't do many interviews. Uh-huh. And so he would, when he did Rolling Stone, it was a big deal. He would be yeah. on the cover. He'd say, I'll do your, your thing. I may not even do an interview, but I'll, I'll be on the cover. Okay, we want you. And, and so he would do that. And, and he was exceptional about saying, you know what? I want a reporter to come up here, but you can't record anything, you know, whatever it was. And, and I want you to release this information. And they knew – he knew that people would come out with this information. Uh-huh. And he would Absolutely. lay down little, little hints along the way. You know, When the tour book for Purple Rain came out, it said, open your heart, open your mind. Well, that's the first line of his next album. He already knew in – the tour didn't start until November. The tour books were printed up in September, October. He already knew that next year would be that – that would be the opening line to his album and, and that he was that far ahead, like you said, 10 steps ahead, that he had already planned beyond the tour. That's just, you know, not that he couldn't change his mind because he changes his mind all the time. And that's why this man has so many projects that never came to completion. But even his stuff that he never finished is still better than 90% of the stuff out there. And, and at the time of the end of the book, he's in a, 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 a moment of change and he had to figure out, do I continue on this or to become the artist? I, I know I am. And he decided to become the artist that he knew he was.
Well, I want to encourage our listeners and friends out there to immerse yourself in the purple. And by that, I mean, if you have never seen Purple Rain, check it out. You owe it to yourself to watch this fun, great movie. And you mentioned the expanded Purple Rain disc that you can get is fantastic. Yes. But I'm telling you on top of that, get your copy of Purple Rain, whether it's the new one or the classic one that you've had for years. Get this book, put it right beside it, listen to it again with fresh ears and a new peek into the studio and the creative process and what was going on at the time. Can I can I say two things? I, I know we're close to wrapping up, I think, but yeah. I want to say two things real quick. First off is about Prince and the second one is about you. The first thing I want to say is it's it's our responsibility now that Prince is gone to make sure that if you like his music – to make sure you make a bridge to the next generation or else he's going to be lost. Mm. Um, it's, it's vital that, that the next generation understands the power and the, what he did with his music, because what he created and the, the amount of stuff that he put together and, and the influence he had on not only music, but fashion and, and marketing and everything like that. He just was so far above and beyond anybody. And I, I can't suggest enough to make sure that your kids or people in the next generation know that that he is he is important. And if we don't do that, if we don't do the heavy lifting now, he's going to die again and die with our generation. And I, I, I don't want to have that happen. Not only that, what what he was able to do as far as creator and artist rights. Yes, absolutely. He he he, he is. I don't want to say solely example, but hugely uh, 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 influential when it comes to people not needing recording, uh, you know, a, a publisher, uh, not publishers, but uh, um, like Warner Brothers or something like that. He said, you know what, I can do this on my own and, and did. Now, not everybody's Prince. They can't always do that. But he opened the door open to the Internet when it came to getting music out there at times. And, and he went back and forth about things. But a lot of artists saw him as, as being free. And thought I can do that, you know. I can I can sell an album of my own and make a dollar more or three dollars more an album than I would make through the pub, through the uh, record company. And that was that's a very important thing to remember because it changed kind of changed the the trajectory of, of a lot of artists. The second thing I want to say is now I've been a big fan of yours for a long time, Ken, and you know, and you and I have known each other through you know the podcast. What you do is such a gift. And, and your passion, and you're probably going to edit this out, and I hope you don't because I really want to make sure that somebody says this. What you bring to the table on all these subjects, whether it's Kiss, whether it's the Monkees, whether it's pop culture, is so valuable. And, and I am happy to call you a friend. I've only spoken on the phone to you once at a Monkees concert, and I, I, I still talk about the fact that you, that. you are a, a gift to people who enjoy music, the the uh, the panels you have, the topics you cover, cheap trick, whatever it is, I don't know where you find the time to do this. Because I I I'm got a kid, I got a wife, I got a book, I got a job, I, I got a dog, and I'm I'm not sleeping. You <laughs> do so much more than that, and the hours that you have entertained me on days that I'm sad, I've had things, you know, whatever it is. I'll put on a podcast of yours and listen to you and all the people on those podcasts. And it doesn't matter what it is. The element inside there is you. 
And I adore you. I, I love you, man. You are such a, a giver. And I was happy to help with whatever I can with getting the word about you out there. You're the pod father. But I, again, I want to thank you for having me on here. We've been talking about doing this for a long time. And this is the first time I've really got a chance to talk to you about this. But man, what you do is so valuable. And I hope you – I don't know if you realize that. I, do, you, do you understand that? Well, I, I do see the power of it. You know what I'm saying? Good. Um, it, it's, it's, it's humbling. It's shocking at times. It's very warm at, at the same time as well. That uh, when you can be there through someone's life and – yeah. The fact that we're not on old-fashioned media and you can take us wherever you are. Right. You know, I've, we've gotten emails from people, cards and letters even, saying, hey, I was in the hospital, I was sick, yep. and I listened to you guys. Yep, uh, yep. My, my, I, I was in the uh, – my, my son or daughter was being born, and I was in the waiting room. <laughs> you guys kept me sane, right? We've been through physical therapy with people and times that they were without work. And, and it's, it's a great give and take between the listeners and friends of this really cool media. And I appreciate you saying that. There's so many nights I'm driving home at night and, and I'm listening to you. I, the, the thing is you choose to listen to a podcast. A radio comes on. You don't really choose the song that's coming on. You choose a podcast. You, you actually is an active uh, participant in this so i would say i would download five of them knowing that i've got a long trip and i'm all of a sudden going oh they're talking about something and i'll go back to that album and think well by cracky he had a point there i thought he was i thought he was a load and he actually had something to say there <laughs> you know it's, it's like and and when you would do panels with people and and, and things like this, and i feel like i've become friends even though with these people with melanie and stuff like this i, I hear their their voices on there and i'm like it's it's fun and when i get to meet some of the people that i've met you know, at a monkey show or other shows that I've known through you, it's an extension, your octopus arms. Um, and I just, again, I, I want you to take care of yourself. I want you to do well. And I, I, I want you to keep doing these things because this is, you are giving you, we were talking about Prince doing the marketing and stuff like this. You are doing this, and you found a way. And I, I know you're going to trim this in half. I'm sure. But oh no, yeah. you're talking good about me. I'll let that <laughs> fly. But you, you've not only found. I, I know this. I can say I probably know this about you. You did not expect the influence that the podcast would create when it comes to like the monkeys, and all of a sudden Andrew Sandoval's reaching out to you, or, or John Hughes is reaching out to you. I don't think you ever expected that. You know, when you were doing some goofy podcast to start with, and this shows the authority and power that that what you bring with the range of stuff you talk about and the and the the depth of knowledge about this and i'm and i'm a music historian so when i hear somebody who's talking about this stuff who is not just reading statistics but loves it and then when you read my book and you said i love this book i'm like going yeah that's cool because it almost has your stamp of approval and that that made me really happy so anyway that was the big thing i want to say well, thank you for all those nice things. I want to have you back and just talk Prince. Just, just enjoy it. Well, you, you will definitely be back on Pop, sir. And thank I want to I want to thank you for being on Pop today. And again, the name of the book is Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions, 1983 and 1984. Get it on Amazon or wherever finer books are sold. Support your local bookstore. 
Go yes. check it out. Or get it at the library if you absolutely have to. But get this book. Immerse yourself in, in the purple. Right. Exactly. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. Ken. All right, Dwayne. Thank you so much. Okay, great. All right. God day. bless. Bye. Bye. And that's our show. Pop is an online, nonprofit pop culture audio fanzine made for fans by fans. Any samples of music, TV, or movies heard here remain the property of their owners. Pop, a pop culture podcast, is not affiliated with any products we review or discuss. Opinions heard here belong to the people who express them and may not reflect the views of the pop staff. If you like something that you heard, buy it at your local record, video, or bookstores, or wherever pop is found. If you enjoy the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm your announcer, Christine Wolf, saying whatever you do, make sure it pops! going to have you do this is Dwayne Tootle author of and you are listening to pop okay what am I saying sorry <laughs> this that's is, gonna be the outtakes yeah <laughs> this, this, this is hold on for one second pop culture podcast yeah okay I'll try to do that hi this is Dwayne Tootle author of Prince and the Purple Rain era studio sessions 1983 it's 1984 and you're listening to pop a pop culture pop this morning, you're, you're, you're killing me here. I know. Um, uh, okay.